Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 104, and we're going to start with the 24th verse. It goes like this. Lord, you have done so many things. You made them all so wisely. The earth is full of your creations. And then there's the sea, wide and deep with its countless creatures, living things both small and large. There go the ships on it and the Leviathan, which you made plays in it. All your creations wait for you to give them their food on time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled completely full. But when you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you let loose your breath, they are created, and you make the surface of the ground brand new again. Let the Lord's glory last forever. Let the Lord rejoice in all he has made. God touches the mountains and they erupt in smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I'm still alive. Let my praise be pleasing to him. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Psalm 104 is about breath. It's about the breath of life which sustains creation. The truth is there is no world without that breath, without any breath. We all of us depend upon the breath of God from our very first breath as a human until we die. But even before that, we depend upon the breath of God which made the mountains, which calms the sea and stirs up the sea. We rely on the God of grace. The God who creates over and over and over again. And Psalm 104 reminds us that we are responsible. We, as people, have one job to do. Presbyterians who grew up from the cradle probably remember their catechism, right? What's the first question we ask in the Westminster Catechism? Anyone remember? See how, how well you remember your catechism. What is the chief end of man? Anyone? Glorify God God and enjoy him forever. Good job, team. (laughs) We don't make children do that anymore, but back in the day, if you wanted to join the church, you had to memorize the the catechism. It says the very first job that we have as humans is to glorify God. That's it. That sounds like an easy job, right? All we have to do is glorify God, and yet we trip over that all of the time. The truth is there's no world without God. Verse 30 reminds us that when God let loose the breath, the world was created and made a new surface on the earth. And so there would be no earth without God. My favorite verse in this chapter is when he talks about the Leviathan roaming in the sea. Now the Leviathan is a big monster. Leviathan just means sea monster, literally. And can you, like normally we see that, you know that commercial with the octopus that's like the squid that engulfs the boat? And we always think about the monster being so scary. And yet even the monster plays in the water and says thank you to God. It's also a reminder that the world is hopelessly complex. The world is a difficult and challenging place. It's not one that we can sustain with our own ability or our own mind or our own breath. We can't do it. 
It's too complex, it's too difficult, it's too challenging. We rely on God. Now we've been watching a show, it's called Clarkson's Farm. It's on Amazon, it's on Amazon Prime. It's an eight show farm and it's about this guy whose name is Jeremy Clarkson. And he's known for um, a car show. So <laughs> they race cars around and they do car reviews and they're generally silly and they like to blow things up. He's basically like uber macho man. Randy Savage, sort of, no. Um, he is known for his outlandish opinions. He writes opinion columns in the newspaper and they're often overly simplistic and kind of boorish. He has a simple mind with the opinions to match, someone said. Well, last year he decided to buy a 1,000 acre farm and move out of London. He was tired of paying congestion taxes and having to drive his car everywhere and all the details of living in the city as big as London, and so he decides to buy a farm. And when he moves to the farm, he decides, well, I'm gonna just farm it myself, right? Simple. Everything else in his life has been simple, and so this is gonna be simple too. And he moves out to this farm, and, and he buys a tractor that's too big, won't fit in the barn. It's the first thing that happens, this tractor. It's a Lamborghini tractor, right? Which farmers, how many of us own a Lamborghini tractor? <laughs> There's a reason for that, because he can't use it. The whole show, all for eight episodes, he keeps getting in this Lamborghini and then not being able to use it for anything, right? It's ridiculous and meant to be. He quickly learns that he will not be able to farm by himself. That it's harder than it looks. The equipment is more expensive than he had thought. A guy sits down with him, an expert agricultural farmer, and goes through all the equipment he has to buy to start his farm. You know, a tractor, a barn, uh, things I can't remember because I don't farm, but you know, like big things. He eventually has to buy a combine at the end of the show, and he doesn't because it's like $300 million or something. I don't know. It seemed like a lot to me. <laughs> right? And quickly, quickly he learns that even with the equipment that he buys, he can't beat the weather. And so in episode two, he spends four hours standing next to his pond watching his fields flood after three weeks of torrential rain. Two episodes later, his fields are completely dry and he has to buy an irrigation system. He learns quickly he can't beat the weather. And he purchases all the wrong things. He decides instead of buying a lawnmower, he's gonna buy sheep. And he quickly learns that he can't tend the sheep, take care of the sheep, or have any fence for the sheep. So he has to hire shepherds to come and tend the sheep. And then in order to make any money, he has to sell them. And he cries the first time he sells his lamb. The shepherd who's working with him looks at him with no compassion and says, it's not a pet, it's a farm animal. And the very last episode, all of this pays off because they go through all of the things that he had to do this year. And it turns out it was the worst year for farmers in Britain since 1975. 40 years and he chose the worst year to start. And you know how much he made? $100. <laughs> and this man who was simple, who thought farming would be simple, who had taken nature for granted because he lived in London, quickly learns that he did not have the control he thought he had. He learns an appreciation for those who depend upon the soil for their living.
and he learns a deep appreciation for the things that are out of his control. He learns farming is not about growing things. It's about problem solving. It's about the complexity of our nature and how deeply, deeply difficult it is to rely upon it. The truth is life is challenging, he learns. It's not simple. It's not as easy as he thought. Life is out of our control. It's just truth. So much of what we need to live our life is dependent upon a tangled web of people. We may not hire shepherds to literally bring us lambs for dinner, but we depend upon them to put them on trucks to make it to our grocery store. We depend upon people who, we, who grow wheat and then mill the wheat and then put it in bags so we can buy our dollar of flour at the grocery store. The truth is we don't have much say in that. We don't have much say in who grows what, when, and where, or what the weather allows to happen. And the truth is that we don't have any say in how those get to our stores or what we eat. I don't know about you, but one of the worst things about the pandemic for me was that panic at the beginning when we all thought we weren't going to have enough food to live. And we take for granted how simple our life has become. That we can just run down to the corner store and buy food whenever we want. That even though we had a panic where we were going to run out of gas, remember that not too long ago? Did anybody run out of gas? We learned quickly how complicated our lives actually are and how much is out of our control. And what Clarkson learned is what we should learn, that overly simplistic answers are never going to be the answer to anything. It's really convenient, these three-word slogans we're throwing out all everywhere right now. It's really easy to solve a problem with a three-word slogan, right? Pick your problem. We're going to solve police brutality by defunding the police or funding the police, whichever side you're on, right? Or we're going to solve the Iraq war by leaving the Iraq war or spending more money at the Iraq war, depending on which side you're on. Both are easy, easy solutions, right? We're going to solve the world's problems with slogans. And the truth is that what that does is it substitutes our own wisdom for the complexity of what life actually looks like. We can't solve the world's problems with slogans. We can't solve the world's problems by simplifying complex issues. We can't solve the world's problems at all. That is not our job. When we think that we can solve the world's problems, when we have the best answer for things, what we're doing is substituting our wisdom for God's wisdom. We're substituting our ability to understand the world for God's ability to understand the world. And who knows better what needs to happen than the one who created the world? We don't have control of the weather. We don't have control over a lot of things. And we certainly don't have control by using overly simplistic, overly easy, overly not difficult answers. Because the problem is that our wisdom, our wisdom is rooted in sin. Our wisdom, our truth is rooted in that brokenness. And so whatever solution we come up with, the overly simplistic one, the easy one, the one that we like because it doesn't cost us anything, that is going to be tainted by our sin and it's probably going to cause more problems than it would have. 
We can't trust ourselves to know the answers to every problem. And maybe because we try to solve the world's problems, we miss the complexity. And we lose the stories and the people that are involved in those situations. I have lots of solutions I could come up with to every problem this quick. But none of them address the root problem, which is the people who are involved, the sin that's involved, and the complexity of the problem. We need to step back. We need to remember our place in this order, that we are created creatures just like everything else. And we are not going to have the answers to everything. And nothing is going to come simply. And we're going to make mistakes. We're going to learn from the mis mistakes. And we're going to appreciate even more that we are not God. We need to step back. We need to remember what is our job and what is God's job. We need to remember that we are not in charge. And that our job is to stand and to watch and to look and to see where God is going. Where is the spirit moving? Where is God in action? Where is God creating today? Because God didn't just create at the beginning of the world. And when we substitute our wisdom for God's wisdom, we miss it. When we substitute human simplicity for God's complexity, we miss the spirit. We miss the breath. God will redeem the world. It will happen. We've been promised throughout scripture that it will happen, but not unless we get out of the way. And we remember that life is more complex, it's more difficult, it's more challenging than what we would like it to be. And that it's not our job to be in charge. Our job is to watch, and to praise God, and to look for the spirit to move. And then maybe we can save our corner of the world.